how are you going to take this back and implement it? Because if you don't, and if it's just a fun thing, then we haven't done our job. It has to be something where it's like, what skill are you going to use moving forward? Welcome to Improv is No Joke podcast, where it is all about becoming a more effective communicator by embracing the principles of improvisation. Your host is Peter Margaritas, the man whose name is pronounced like a cocktail, but spelled like an inflammation. Peter is the self-proclaimed chief edutainment officer of his business, The Accidental Accountant. Peter's goal is to provide you with thought-provoking interviews with business leaders so you can become an effective improviser, which will lead to building stronger relationships with clients, customers, colleagues, and even your family. So let's start the show. Welcome to episode 78. And today my guest is Jay Suko, and he will gladly talk endlessly about how much the world would be a better place if everyone just took one improv class. Jay is the founder of Today Improv, where he teaches improv to actors, businesses, and everybody else all over the world. He's currently on faculty at MI's Westside Comedy Theater and the Second City Hollywood. Prior to that, Jay was a faculty member of the Second City Chicago, IO Chicago, and Comedy Sports Chicago. He currently performs with the house team Lucy at Westside Comedy Theater and is the co-host of the podcast titled Improvcast, with Jay and Landon. In our interview, Jay shares his thoughts on improv and its place in the business world. He talks about how improv has evolved in business from, oh, that's just comedy, to, hey, there are takeaways that we can apply to our business. With that little teaser, let's get to our interview. Jay, I have to admit, I am so very excited to have you on my podcast, and, 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 and super big thank yous go to you for taking time out of your day to be a guest and spend some time with myself and my audience. I greatly appreciate that. Oh, Peter, thank you. I'm very excited uh, to be on it, and I think you know we have to give a shout out to the Condorachis because... Uh, I listened to your podcast with Annie, and that's how I got into listening to your episodes, and I thought it was just great. I think what you're doing is uh, fantastic, so thank you for having me on. Uh, I, I greatly appreciate the kudos, and you're right. Thanks to to Greg Conderacci and Annie Conderacci, because without either of this, this conversation wouldn't be happening, and I, I owe a lot to them uh, for supporting the podcast and, and supporting me, and and he's such a delight. I mean, I had so much fun. You probably, you said you listened to the episode. Had so much fun talking with her. She, she's she's just full of wonderful energy. Yeah, she's great. And she is such a student of improv and has such integrity with performing it. And she sees how she benefits in her professional life, personal life, as well as artistic life. So, yeah, she uh, I, we have conversations all the time. And it's really great. It's really great. I, I remember her from, I taught her in a class at Second City, and I'll never forget this one move she made. The scene was about a class reunion, and she was off stage, and two people were in a scene, and she comes running on stage and had such an energy about her that I, I never forgot it, and I'll never forget it. Wow. And when I was talking 
to her. Uh, I mean, all, all she raved about, and, and I, know, I know she's giving you a quote on your website about what 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 a wonderful teacher you are, and how you gave her a life changing experience through the introduction of improv, and and that's what I really want to talk about with with with, with you about is. My big introduction with it was many years ago with George Caliotis when he introduced it to me, but when it got heightened to that to that next level uh, and really looked at it from a personal and business perspective is when I was at Second City Chicago some years ago and I had this instructor by the name of Brian Posen. And, oh yeah, and I mean, he just he just took it to a whole different level and really gave me focus on how to apply it in a daily life and in a business life. Because I think too many people, when you say, what's the first thing that comes to mind when you think improv? I'll hear stand-up comedy, I'll hear comedy, yeah. or I'll hear Drew Carey. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you know, to the benefit of that show, Whose Line Is It Anyway?, which Drew hosts the American version, it, before that, people had no reference really about improv. Like I started in 92 and people, it was very hard for them to understand the concept. And then when whose line is in any way came along, it at least gave them a reference point. So whether you did short form or long form or whatever kind of improv you did, you at least had like a base level for most of the people you're talking to, they had a base level of knowledge and it was all thanks to that show. Yeah. But but the one thing that always... I guess since I look at it from a little bit different perspective, it's when Drew would say, well, everything is made up and the points don't count. Yeah. Uh, it's not made up. And actually, the points really do count. That's the one thing when I when I address that, I go, it's it's not so much made up because you've got to have some knowledge in order to, right. to do a scene. And, and I'm, you know, uh, George Calios one night said, I want you guys to go study the 70s. So this is about, 97, 98, and come back the next week and we're going to apply this to the workshop. And those of us who did the homework, we were funny. Those who didn't sucked. (laughs) (laughs) They really sucked. (laughs) And that was the big aha moment. It was like, it's not making stuff up. You've got to have the knowledge, experience, and, and, and education or whatever in order to apply to to that scene or to that issue at hand yeah and and not that they sucked but maybe it was <laughs> that they didn't quite get the full potential of what that scene could be yeah i was, I was kind of harsh on my part i apologize but i, I think well, that- also because it's like you don't with each person it's like another thing is maybe they did study but maybe they're just petrified you know, or like, yeah, you're right. It's like maybe they didn't study, then they get up there and they're lost because you have all this knowledge and information. And then I think what is the funniest and most uh, effective in improv is when people go, oh, I know that. Like, I'm that person. You're that person. I think that's what it boils down to. So when you have something like a style or genre and you just play those most obvious tropes of that, then it becomes so much more enjoyable. Got it. Yeah, and maybe it was a little harsh, but I can still hear these guys go <laughs> after class. And that, man, we really sucked. And, and and I think it was for the fact, if my memory serves me correct, and my wife says I can't remember a thing, 
I, I think they said they got so busy during the week that they didn't do the homework. Right. So they had nothing. They, they, and then you, yeah. Some type of basis. So you've got you've got a business. You you perform. You you, you teach uh, actors. Yep. Uh, you do it in business, and you teach everybody. How did you fall into the teaching aspect of this from the performance side of it? Um, a little background is my parents in 1991 gave me as a Christmas present a Second City improv class. Whoa. And it it wasn't like I had I'm from Chicago. I heard of Second City. I had a, a fleeting understanding. But I had no at that point I didn't really think I wanted to perform at all, but I had been artistic and I was in plays in, in high school and you know, I worked in video department at my school, so I liked being creative and I said, Oh, okay, um, this sounds fun. So I was driving up it was like two or three hours to take a Saturday noon class. And it became the highlight of my week. And this was <laughs> the last semester of my senior year in, in college. And this thing was like, I couldn't wait for it. And so I went up and at that point, part of the attraction of improv was it was a dead end job. You weren't going anywhere. You, there was no professional improv league. I met these people that were smart like me that were kind of, we called it the Island of Misfit Toys. Like we all kind of didn't fit in <laughs> at places, but we found our tribe in this. And and I still talk to four people from my very first improv level one class, which was started in January of 92. So we're still friends. And I just performed with one of the guys a couple of weeks ago, and it was 25 years had gone by. And we and we did a show, and it was like you know, it was like we hadn't stopped. So in October of '93, I auditioned for a group called Comedy Sports. And when I took my first improv class at Second City, you went level one, two, three, four, and five. And there was a Second City in the suburbs of Chicago. That's where I took it. It's no longer there. So level one, two, three were improv, and I started with. Stephen Colbert, Dave Rosowski, and Steve Carell were my first three teachers. I've heard of those guys Dave, before. Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. They're, they're, I mean, they're, I'm not sure what they're doing now, yeah. but, and Rosowski is like traveling the world teaching. And the other two, I've lost track of. I'm not sure where they are. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> in our level four, we started writing sketch, and, and Second City is improvisation used to write sketch comedy. And it's political and satirical in nature because when they would ask for suggestions in the 50s when they were performing for University of Chicago students mainly, they would get political suggestions. And so that's how it became political and satirical is because of their audience. And so then um, we went from there. Our, our group from Second City performed two years on that stage, which was great. We did a student show that was extended for a year. Then we did a Best of Second City Northwest for a year, which was like I got to do parts from Stephen Colbert and Carell and Nirvar Dalos and Dan Castellaneta, who's the voice of Homer Simpson. Like we, we got a really good education. Wow. Then I did. Then we went down to Chicago. We enrolled in the conservatory there and had a great time. And then we heard about this guy Del Close, and so we took it. We started taking classes with him. And then I auditioned for comedy sports, which is short form improv, and it's 
quote, competitive, end quote, short form improv. Like there's a referee and there are points given, but really it's, you're in the this show and there are two teams and they're servicing the show. So it's a really fun time. And I think about, it was probably like uh, in the following year, I want to say that I did a workshop at a college and the guy who was running the workshop was like, why don't you teach the warmups? I was like, well, no, what? <laughs> teach them. And he goes, you have more experience than they do. I was like, oh, okay. So I started teaching then. And then I would, you know, gradually teach like exercises and then I would teach full on workshops. And so that's kind of how my teaching started. I don't know if it was, it wasn't necessarily by accident, but it was more like, okay, jump in, jump in a hundred percent and figure it out as you go. Oh, that sounds like improv. Yeah, for sure. And I was like, oh, I really, I really love this aspect of it. So I really like teaching. I probably enjoy teaching more than performing. And I love performing. Wow. That's because uh, uh, you know what they say about teachers. Those who teach can't do, but that, that, that's not true in improv. Well, it's funny you say that because our faculty show at Second City Chicago, when I was there, I'm in LA now, but the Second City Chicago faculty show was called Those Who Can't. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like the most fun show because it was like all the people who played, we were so excited to play with each other. And we would play in front of students and you would like, I would always teach that night because the show would be like at 10 or 1030. And if I didn't teach, I would never stay awake that long. <laughs> but you notice like, oh, I have to practice what I preach. I have to do what I talked about. And then in class, if I was working on like space work or object work, I would do that in the show. Or if I was focused on relationships, I would focus on that in the show, like without even thinking about it. So that was our faculty jam. Wow. Now at Second City Hollywood, it's called, <laughs> it's called Hot for Teacher. <laughs> She's like, all right. Okay. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> yeah, right. All right. If you want to call it that. Okay. So as a, as a, as a teacher of it, I, I'm curious about morphing in from an actor's perspective into the business world. And how is that? And how is that? What 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 struggles? What challenges do you have when you're with a group of actors, and then you're in a corporate environment working with those within within the organization? Yeah, with business. It's evolved a lot. I remember one of my earliest like corporate gigs. One of the people in our cast showed up, and she had a, a jean jacket on that said "Legalized Pot," and it was like our director went ballistic and rightfully so it's like and that's the thing even slightly true today not the not that tee, not that that coat right the jacket but the fact that i cannot bring improvisers into corporate settings unless i know them and i know they speak the language and i know that they will not do these bits that you're doing a bit in a you know, board, you know, a breakout room before you're going on, somebody walks by, they don't know the reference and they just hear you doing these bits. It's not advantageous for that. So one of those, the aspect of doing corporate improv workshops is knowing the people who are going there, they know how to present themselves in that setting. Okay. And it's very, very difficult because it's against the nature of improvisers because a lot of them are gregarious and we love doing bits and callbacks and things like that. 
and my wife said it great. And it sounds harsh, but this is, she was, she was really good at translating from business world to improv speak. And this was the way she put it to improvisers. When you walk into a business to do a gig, you have to walk in like you're miserable. And she said that (laughs) because otherwise there was no reference. She couldn't say to an improviser, okay, you have to be quiet. Cause that was like, okay, we'll whisper our bits. But she's like, for an improviser, put them in that context of walking in that way, put, made them understand what it was like, made them understand this is a professional thing. And so that's one aspect of doing that has to do with the facilitators and improvisers. And also, as you know, a facilitator in a corporate setting, like Greg is a facilitator, an improv is facilitator is not that same type of facilitator. It's not the same. It's more like you're running the workshop. You're not necessarily trained in being a facilitator, but that's what, but that's what we say improv facilitator, but it's, it's a little bit of a different beast. I think for the attendance and the participants in the workshop, and it's gotten a lot easier with the age and, you know, Second City offers classes for four-year-olds in improv all the way up through people who have retired. Like it's, they offer a workshop for everybody. They have workshops for social anxiety. They have workshops for people on the autism spectrum. Like they, it's, they have military, the veterans. And so people's reference of improv is so much greater in their experience now. So, you know, I work, I do a lot of facilitation with Second City at Deloitte um, on their campus down in Dallas. And, uh, you know, a lot of the sessions are like, hey, you're transferring from intern to employee or you're, you're, you've been working a couple of years. Now you're going to start um, transitioning into management. And so we're using improv to help those transitions and help with listening and communication. And a lot of times now I'll see students I've had in Chicago in those classes or people have been like, yeah, I've been on improv. I understand what improv is. So that has completely changed as far as going into a place. And before it'd be like, all right, who knows what improv is? And nobody would raise their hand. Right. People are afraid, and this is this is not just in the corporate setting, but in, in life, they're afraid of, they think they're going to be made fun of, they think they're going to be put on the spot, they think they're going to be out there by themselves, and improv is the opposite of that. And they think it's just like, you're going to go out there willy-nilly and, and say whatever, and it's whatever you say is right, and it's like, no, that's not it. There are, improv is is very hard, which sounds... <laughs> counter, but it is because you have these parameters and you're out there, you know, Seinfeld said it, people would rather be in the casket than give the eulogy. (laughs) So the, the, you're doing something that is addressing the fear of public speaking, addressing being in your head, analyzing things because your brain wants to figure things out. Your brain wants steps. That's why we love steps and we love acronyms (laughs) because it's like, oh, here's the thing we're doing. With improv, it's we're doing this thing together. We have to do it step by step together. And to have that where most of your life you're defensive and you're protecting yourself and, you know, people are like, well, how do I get out of my head? It's like, well, sad news is you don't, but improv has skills to help you 
stay, you, what you're really talking about is staying present. Say yes. Yes. And say yes. And staying in the moment to be open for anything that can happen. Now people, and there are business books like Bob Callhan has a business book and second city has a business book and, and Amy Lazuski down in San Diego, they all have books that apply to business. So people now have, that's given it a sense of legitimacy. As you know, it's like, oh, you've got a book. Right. <laughs> well, you must be an expert because you have a book, <laughs> which is some which is true. Yeah. So you go in there now and it's like that book has allowed people who are making decisions for these meetings to say, oh, we're bringing in somebody. It's not, it's going to, there's going to be some takeaways. There are going to be some key takeaways that we can apply. It's not just this thing of like, oh, it's going to be fun. And so you get in these situations and, you know, my wife is a consultant and the thing you struggle against is one, people don't want to look foolish. Right. Two, they don't want to participate. Like, you know, you go to meetings, people think it's time to like, honestly, it's, it's a time to zone out or just kind of not pay attention or you do pay attention, but you don't have to interact as much. Uh, my wife says she would rather not give an answer than give the wrong one because of how it's going to reflect on her. And as an improviser, I'm like the opposite. I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to answer it. It might be wrong. That'll be fun. (laughs) Also, I think within that, that I'd rather not give the answer just keep it to myself. I I think I also go, who's the power figure in the room? Yes. Who's the most senior in the room? Who's the most senior person? And are they buying in? And if you go into a place, if you go into a session and that person is like jumping in a hundred percent and they're enjoying it, that's the most fun, easiest session because everyone defers to that senior person. And if they're there and they've got their arms crossed and they are on their phone or they walk out or they, you know, you, they are not even participating then it's like, okay, it's a little bit of a struggle to get them to buy in. You know, and like a a regular class that isn't in the business setting, people are signed up because they are there because they want to do something. They want to be a better person. They want to listen better. Heck, they might want to meet people. They might like improv. When you go in a business setting, sometimes it's, hey, surprise. (laughs) Guess what you're doing? (laughs) And they don't want to be there all the time. They might get something out of it at the end, but not everybody is like, oh, I want to be here. And so that's another thing that's a, a, a challenge. And if you don't have people who are the improv facilitators with experience in that arena, right. it's hard to have them, it's hard to set them up for success because you need people who can translate the language. You need people who can look in somebody's eyes and say, okay, this person is, is completely scared and nervous. I'm not going to ask them to uh, answer questions or participate as far as I look to somebody else and it's like, oh, they're willing to come out and be fearless. Yeah, you can tell, you can tell by body language. I, I, you can tell by body language, yeah. I, I, had, I was doing something, a group of 400 accountants, and I asked for a volunteer and it was quiet. And finally, the, after, after a little bit of silence, this woman raised her hand and she came up on stage and, and, and she was great. We had a blast and we we're making people laugh and you know, we get the whole thing about listening and stuff. And then I asked her, was it that 
difficult. She goes, no, it was actually fun. The difficult part was raising my hand and volunteering. Yeah. And, and I look at that, that, that leaning in, that, that fear, that inner critic is saying, don't, 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 you're going to look stupid up there. But to your point earlier, it's a safe environment. That's a huge part of it. It's like you have to set the tone as a place that's safe. And a place that's like, you might think we're doing all of this. We're, we're not. We're not going to pull you up. We're not going to make fun of you. Like, I don't like, I don't pull people up. I ask for volunteers. And the, the thing that's scary for me is like asking for a volunteer. Nobody raises their hand. And then just shutting myself up shut up, dude, and wait that extra second or two till somebody volunteers. And then what we do is we start off with like doing this exercise of like, okay, they're going to answer questions. I ask them, you're going to celebrate loudly with thunderous applause. It's like, what's your name? Uh, my name's Peter. And everyone claps and they're like, yeah. So then it gets them in that space of uh, like, oh, when I answer, I get applause. And then at the end, we're like, okay, for those of you who are on the outside of the circle or for anyone here, how excited were you that it wasn't you up there? <laughs> and Peter went, they're like, yeah, <laughs> it's like, great. Like be, and you set the tone is like, this is going to be a safe, it's going to be interactive. You're going to be out of your comfort zone, mm -hmm. but that's where growth happens. And so what we want is, you know, we're not experts in your business, but we're experts in what we do, which is communication and working together and being a part of an ensemble and focusing on the, the team first and, and using information. So then we, as we go, it's like, how are you going to take this back and implement it? Because if you don't, and if it's just a fun thing, then we haven't done our job. It has to be something where it's like, what skill are you going to use moving forward? And creating the habit. And creating the habit, which to me, the most effective thing is like, you have to have us come in at regular times. If it's a one-off, you get really excited afterwards, and then things change. Things go back you to You go normal. back to old yeah. habits. Right. And you're not accountable, so you don't have that. You know, I think the best part is having somebody who's like an accountability buddy. I wouldn't call it that, but that idea of like you hold each other accountable because that also is improv, mm -hmm. where you're working together to set people up to succeed rather than cutting them down to save yourself. That's a good point. I haven't, I haven't, I, I, when I, after I'm done, you know, I say, okay, now how are you going to hold yourself accountable and move forward? I've, I've never thought about the accountability, buddy. I, I've used the, the, the piece of, uh, use an index card. If, if yes, and is what you want to begin to do more of, then write it on the index card, write a post-it notes, keep it around you, uh, be cognizant of it and, and begin that change. But I, I do like that, that idea of getting an accountability buddy, somebody within you, within your office that is attending that you can hold each other accountable after the after the session is over in order to create that habit and to begin that change. Yeah, because I think we all need that. It's very hard. And in your life, you don't work by yourself. You might do parts of your job by yourself, but you need to rely on people. And if you have somebody holding you accountable and you holding somebody else accountable, it's you're going to do more. And I like your idea of writing stuff down, too. Because then you see it and you're dealing with it. If you have, it's like working out. If you work out by yourself, eh, eh. you might be able to do it. 
But if you have a trainer or a workout buddy, they're going to also push you and they're going to help you. And it's going to be a thing of like, I don't want to let them down. I want the, you know, they're going to support me. They're going to help me, you know, cause it's like, oh, you work out by yourself and you're doing, you know, I don't know, sit-ups and you're like, eh, that's good enough if you're by yourself. But if you're with somebody, they're going to be like, come on, one more, one more. And it's going to push you that much farther. Exactly. And I think the writing things down, I, I, what I've done is if I'm going to ask them to write something down, then I have to prove to them that I do the same thing. And a couple of ways I found to do that is uh, I had a little bracelet made uh, from Etsy that says, yes, and, and I, I wear it all the time. Uh, actually, full, it, it broke. I have to get another one. And the other thing that I do to, to walk that talk is uh, most of the times when I'm doing anything in front of corporate America, I'm wearing French cuff shirts. Not because of I, 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 I love French cuff shirts, it's because I love these uh, uh, cufflinks that I had made. One says yes, and the other says and. Oh, that's great. And when I show them, too, it, it helps with that. He, you know, I said, I've been doing this for a while, and I've been applying it, but you know, I fall off the wagon, too. And I need to, I need to remember, especially when I'm traveling through the Philadelphia airport or something like that. Uh, you know, when, I, <laughs> when I get into those, when I get into those no because environments and yes, but uh, I, I need to keep that in front of me. And, and I think that that does help make that connection that, well, if he's doing it and I tell a story about how I've done it, that maybe they will apply it the same way or do something along those lines. I have a tattoo on my forearm. It says, yes, Ann. Do you really? Yeah. And it came about because I have a son who's four and a daughter who's two and a half. And when my, my, my wife was pregnant, I was pushing nonstop for the name to be Yesandra. <laughs> like I was, I'm not kidding. I'm like middle name, first name. Like I was, and my wife's like, that's not a name. And I said, Laura, at one point in, in history, Laura was not a name but somebody had to do it. And she's like, no. <laughs> so I negotiated a tattoo. I'm like, well, then you got to let me get a tattoo that says, yes, Ann. And she finally relented, which was a big a yes, and on her part. <laughs> and so what she did is she goes, well, if you're going to get it, I want to be a part of it. So she wrote in Sharpie, Yes, and and then I went in to get it tattooed, and they just tattooed where the letters were. So it's my wife's handwriting. Oh, cool! And it says yes, and and I say yeah. It's a it's a philosophy for me. It's not just it's not necessarily the words yes, and but it's the philosophy of right. And my wife said this best. She goes, and this has a big impact when I do these corporate sessions. She goes. Yes, and isn't like, all right, yes, and your way out of problems. Yes, and your way to freedom. She goes, yes, and is before I shoot it down, how could it work? Right. Let me just take a moment. And if you look in your corporate world or your professional world or your personal world, you have to say yes. You have to. And you have to say yes to things you don't want to do or you get fired. And so a lot of times, when we're struggling is because we're not accepting and we're not going with it. And we can make humans make beautiful excuses and that no, because oh, wonderful. It gives my ego a sense of power Yeah, because no is a power word. Yeah. And so it also makes me think 
because I say no to your idea, my suggestion is going to hold so much more weight. <laughs> or like, I'm going to say, no, I have no idea. <laughs> I have no other options. I'm just going to shoot it down. Oh man. You're, I, I'm speaking to the choir here. Yeah. I, I, I see the, I see a lot. I a hundred percent agree. Everything that you've said. How you've I loved how you I loved how you laid this out and and and, and uh, the influence that your that your wife has had on you when it comes to corporate America. So I'm gonna take a real sidestep here for a moment because it, it begs me to ask this question: Did you really kick her out of an improv workshop? Oh, it was a class, my friend. It was a class, and she was it, she was the only one that I've ever kicked out of class. Now, was this the only one? Was this prior to being married or was this? Oh, no. Oh, oh, no. Oh, no. We were married. We were married. <laughs> um, what had happened, the backstory is it was first class I taught at IO in Chicago. Like I had done some workshops and things with them, but I hadn't taught a session. I had gone to IO Chicago or Improv Olympic in the mid like 93, four, I was there for a couple of years, not teaching, but just performing. And then I came back and this was like early 2000. And I said, come to my class. Tell me if I'm talking too much, like give me some notes and some feedback because teachers and like I'm doing on this podcast episode, love to talk. Right. And I had a guy who was our, our coach of a team and our show would be 22 minutes. He would talk for 45 after the show. Like, come on, man. <laughs> so she was in the class and I knew that people after that class would be like, we're all moving on. Right. And you know, you move on together, but I knew she wasn't going to, cause she didn't want to. And, and, but the whole time in class, every class of the eight weeks she would be on her phone and i'd be like can you put that away like uh and so uh because she has a short attention span and sometimes she gets bored rightfully so watching improv um so finally the last week i'm like everybody's moving on except laura you've been on your phone this whole time you're on your phone right now and part of me was like yeah, but part of me was upset. Yeah. I was like, "You can't, you can't get off your phone." Like, <laughs> don't you see the example? It's setting. Like, I'm glad you're here, but get off your phone. And now, when I teach, um, I direct a group here in Santa Monica. They're called Air Force Fun, and they're they're amazing. They're really good. But I have them at the start of rehearsal. I have them put their phones down on a ledge of this where we rehearse so that they just don't look at their phones because it becomes such a, it becomes such a thing that we don't even think about it. We go right to the phones, which goes to like, that's going against your active listening. Bingo. People think like, and they're like, Oh, I can, I can multitask. It's like, no. no. I, and I've worked with people that are high powered and think they can. It's like, no, you you can't. It's, it's your focus is split. I mean, just based on, the term multitasking, your focus is split. And improv is such an immediate, you have to be here now. It's a shared experience. There are a lot of those moments that come up when you're invested. But if you're not invested, and if you're a senior person, if you're the most senior person in the room and you're on your phone, other people are going to think it's okay. Right. 
So it's like, and we say like, Hey, if you got to take a phone call that happens because you're, you know, everybody's got 16 things happening at that time, then just step out in the hallway and then come back and come back. Yeah. yeah. But, but don't, but don't leave. It'll hurt our feelings. <laughs> but yeah, the, the whole, go, go. thank you for the story about uh, why you kicked her out. But, but as you came back into the corporate world, it, it really goes down to the culture that is set. And, and, and I, I've said that if the most senior person in the room, if they would just give the craziest answer, that would free everybody else up. I, I, you'll love the story. I was doing a, a workshop for a company in Maryland, and they had a week-long leadership program. And they brought their emerging leaders from the U.S. and Latin America in. And I got to teach a creativity piece and it was a half a day and off the premise of yes. And, and, and along those lines. And, and one of the things we were discussing is how do we increase profitability in the company and, you know, raise, raise rates, cut costs. Okay. That's, that's easy. I, I, come on, get out of your head. Give me some crazy ideas. And this one gentleman from Latin America, goes, I tell you what, my friends, here's how we're going to increase profitability in our company. We are going to kill all of our competition salespeople. Yeah. <laughs> right? He, he, right. He literally said, everybody broke up with laughter, and I panicked because it, I wasn't, one, expecting it. And then the, the voice in my head said, if you believe this, run with this. If not, this is going to fall right apart. And I paused for a moment and said, you know, let's take murder off the table for now because uh, I don't look good in orange. However, instead of... I like of, how you said, for now. For now. For now. <laughs> yeah. However, if instead of killing them, why don't we identify the top salespeople in our competition and poach them? Let's give them a $30,000 increase over salary and maybe a $10,000 bonus. And I contend that... Uh, and I got a lot... As I reflected back over that, I went, okay, one, would we have gotten there had that gentleman not had the who took me literally when I said, you can say anything and you're not going to be judged and it's not going to come back to bite you that he said that, but then it also took me someplace else and, and thinking about corporate America and thinking about, you know, we're always looking for ideas and tying in, you know, people are safe. They're not going to throw in. They're not going to say anything or if they give an idea and it's not going to be too far off of being safe, but we don't. We we can't find good ideas with that. When this guy gave us the crazy idea, it took us from from safe to absolutely bizarre. That's where we find the magic. Is when we can pull it back and find that middle. We've got more room to work with, and I think that's what improv helps us do: is find that additional space to work by letting by saying yes and agreement, pushing it out there, having that that lack of fear per se, uh, knowing that you got support from everybody. And then we can take crazy and come up with creative and applicable. Well, and you say like lack of fear and a way to put that also with improv is follow the fear. And that's what you did. Like follow the fear ah. and we want to shy away from it. It's like, no, you accept it and you follow it because you go through it. And I think, you know, what you said is like, oh, it was said. And then I panicked which goes back to like my first instinct because I don't know what it is because humans don't like your brain wants to know everything. So your brain wants to know the steps before they go in. So because we don't know, we're going to immediately shut it down. But what I think is a lost point in improv is 
your idea is not the end idea. Your idea, your job is to put information out there as an idea, not expecting it to be the punchline to a joke, right? The closer, it's the setup uh, to get us somewhere. My information, my the thing about the murder, if we don't judge it, and especially if you've sold them, you could say anything, then to be like murder, and somebody goes, no, it's like, no, you've told them. You've set it up to like, there are no wrong answers. Right. And if that's the case, then you go, okay, murder. Well, what are they really trying to say? Okay, and your your idea came out of that. So instead of saying no, which is a judgment, and we say like defer judgment, yes, and it's defer judgment, right? So instead of saying no, how could this work? You go, hmm, I'm not going to yes and the murder part and be like, (laughs) yeah, and we can kidnap them. Yeah, and we can take them from their family, right? That's not the yes and we're talking about. Right, right, right. But the yes and is like, hmm, let me look at that idea without judging it, because obviously that's not going to happen. But that makes me think of what is really the need or what is really what they're talking about? Because also with improv in business and in life, it's like breaking it down to like, what's the human need? Like when I go into a a workshop and there's a guy who's too cool for school, right? (laughs) I'm like, what's his need? Yeah, His need is to feel safe. And it's almost always his, not to be sexist, but it's a lot of like too cool for school dudes right? because right. men are scared boys who want to win. That's, that's who we are. So I go, okay, his human need is to feel safe or validated, right? That's it. And he right. needs to feel okay. Like that's his defense. So then you go back to what we're talking about of like that step was part of the journey to get us to the final result. And it's amazing. And you've done these brainstorming sessions where it's like right away you start off by knocking ideas and saying no, where it's just you're, you're generating ideas through brainstorming, but people will say no to them. They won't even take a second to be like, wait a minute, before you shoot it down, before you even talk about something else, let's focus on this one thing because now people are feeling heard. And that's the big thing. They want to feel heard. They want to have people who understand them and value them. So if you give a suggestion, that guy gives the suggestion of let's murder him and we don't even hear him out and we right away go, no, do you think he's going to offer more suggestions as we go? Not a chance. He's going to shut down. Yeah. Not a chance. Now, if he keeps talking about murdering, (laughs) then it's like, all right, dude, I would be like, great. We've, we've talked all about that. You don't have to do it anymore. That's retired. That's such a great suggestion. We're going to retire that. We're going to move on past that. Like it's in our hall of fame, but let's, or it's in our graveyard. It's in our improv graveyard where that's been, you know, that's retired. Now let's move on to something else. But if that kicks you off of your session, that's the first thing said. And if you go, no, then that's setting the tone. Right. And I, and side note, I'm going to get on my soapbox for a second about improvisers and shows. I've seen far too many, and it, it makes me sad. Somebody asks for a suggestion from the audience. They give a suggestion, and then the improviser goes, no. Or they go, oh, we took that suggestion last week. And I'm like, oh, so you've done everything about that suggestion. Or you're upset that an audience member says pineapple again. They've never come to a show, and they want to see you take their suggestion and turn it into something magical. And what you're doing is you're telling them, no, we're not going to do that. So you've already discounted their experience and their their suggestion 
you've already discounted it. So now not only have you, I think, lost that person, you've lost other people in the audience because they'll be like, I'm not going to give a suggestion. And the same with the corporate setting. You have to make it safe. And sometimes it's like, it's like um, scared dogs. You have to slowly pull them out of that state where it's like they're very scared, they're defensive. So if you lay a little bit of food out, they'll come out a little bit. If you lay a little more, they come out a little more. If you make it a safe place, then you have that person who's bought into it. And so kudos to you for doing that. Uh, thank you. I, I, like, I, I just, looking back and listening to you, I just reacted in what I have learned through improv is, is, is not to shoot it down, not to shoot any idea down. Let's play with it, but let's qualify it by saying, okay, well, it, it, we'll take murder off the table. But um, it also goes back to, uh, in the book from Second City Works, uh, Yes And, uh, bad ideas are just bridges to good ideas. No ideas lead us to nothing. And I believe that mantra. And I think in a lot of the workshops where we are brainstorming, getting ideas, I try to, you know, I, I look at the word innovation, and I think we talk about innovation, there's two points to it. In innovation, there's creativity and the application of it. And in a brainstorming, I want quantity, not quality. Yeah, and, and I'll work on the quality after the fact. So when, when, when you're coming up with ideas, you can't say, do we have the resources for that idea? No, no, that's later. And I think that's the hardest part in teaching that, that, that aspect of it because we, we all want to maybe shoot an idea down or we don't have the people, we don't have the money, or there's always some excuse. But if we take that excuse off the table and just run with the ideas, we're going to make something magical out of it. It's To your point, it's not, it, the idea is not the be-all, the end-all, but it's the start of a process. Right start of an exploratory process to solve the problem that we have at hand. And if we're, if we're muting ideas from our people, then it's just going to be a lot harder to solve those problems. For sure. And you're, again, you're setting the tone and the tone is, this is not a place to give suggestions. And the same thing with when you talk to people at work, you know, those people that are like, they have the yes and philosophy. They might be like, yeah, that's a great idea. Peter, but you know, I, we love it. Running out into traffic is not going to help us, but I hear your idea. I'm going to validate that. You also know the people who come in and they're like, no, like before you even open your mouth, you know, it's going to be a no and you dread going to those people. Or, you know, the people that are always going to counter with, yeah, but exactly, you know, those people. And so think about how you feel going to, to those people and think about what kind of person, you know, in improv, we say, be the improviser you want to play with. So it's like, be that person in your business that you want to work with. And who is that person? Be them. Wow. I don't think I've heard that before, but I, I, I love that. Be the, be the improviser you want to be. Yeah. That you want to play with. Yeah. What improviser do you want to play with? Do you want to play with somebody who yells at you? Okay, then yell. <laughs> if you do you want to be the person that plays with somebody who goes before you even finish, they go, yeah, absolutely. And they have this aggressive yes and where it's like, I'm agreeing to it before I even know what it is, but I value your information and I value your moves. And like that to me is the improviser's job is like make them look good. And you do that by like, if you're ever stuck in an improv scene, shake your head yes. It's hard to say no when you shake your head, you know, when you're like, yes. Oh, it's hard to say no to that. 
you know, and, and with improv and business, it's all in the eyes. Eye contact, you'll, you'll be able to see in their eyes where they are in body language. You know, we also, we also say improvise the scene you're in, not the one you want to be in. So improvise that, you know, be in that meeting that you're in, not the one that you want it to be. And that goes for presenters as well. It's like you, you improv helps you read a room and you go, well, this plan is not going to (laughs) work. I have to adjust. I have to be agile and pivot in this moment. And, you know, how many times has it been like that plan went off to a T versus how many times have you heard, well, that plan didn't work. Yeah. That went off the rails. Yeah. So improv helps you to adjust to be like, okay, now what do I do? Like you did in that session where it's like, okay, how do I adjust right now? Because that was not part of the plan. And your brain is like freaking out. Your brain's like plan awry, plan awry. Uh, just go back and push it again. Go back and try and get through this presentation again. Maybe just be louder. Maybe just reinforce it. It's like, well, you're not improvising the scene you're in. You're doing it in the one you want it to be. So you accept the moment, accept what this is, and then trust that you're, you've got the answers. Nobody wants to sit through a bad session. Nobody goes to a show, an improv show, or a learning session and goes, I hope this is terrible. I really <laughs> hope it's bad. I hope the presenter struggles. I hope I don't get anything out of it. They don't go to it like that. They might go to a session like, I'm not going to get anything out of this, and their mind's made up, but they really don't go to a session. Nobody goes and, and thinks, I want my time wasted. And we forget that as presenters too, as facilitators. I do that where I go into a setting, a business setting. I'm like, I'm nervous. They're not going to like it. And I'm like, wait a minute. I've gotten through these sessions before. When some problem comes up, I'm able to address it in the moment. And I'm I'm never going to have to do that session again. Good or bad, I never get to do it again. So going to it, I have a friend who says before a show, he's like, I can't wait to see where we go and who we meet. And I'm like, that's a really good attitude. I that can't is. wait. I can't wait. I can't wait to see where we go and who we're going to meet. So, so as you're talking about presenters, when I do teach public speaking and presentation skills, I, 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 I set the scene that you're getting ready to deliver an hour conference session. You got there early enough. Everything's working fine. But just as you begin, your computer freezes up. Yeah. What do you do? And most people... You know, begin to I got to fix the computer. No, no, no. You've you're supposed to be here for to give this information, whether your computer's working or not. And they look at me. I go, I go seriously. This this uh, this has happened to me two or three times. And the computer froze up, or or we don't have the AV facility that we're going to get, but we're going to use this room that has no technology. Okay, do we have that? Does that whiteboard have wheels on it? Sure, bring it over here. It's I'm going old school PowerPoint right now. <laughs> and then if you say that, the audience laughs because they're like, ah, that's me. Yeah. I'm that guy. And they laugh at you acknowledging the obvious. Exactly. You know, there's an exercise I've done where it's you go outside, you get people, you tell them they're going to present this PowerPoint deck. They don't know what it is, but you give them maybe a little overview. They come in and you have a PowerPoint deck that doesn't go well. Sometimes it's like, let's go to the next slide, and it's a picture of a cat. And it's like, <laughs> okay. Or we've done it before where it's like, let's take a look at the first slide, and it just comes up and it goes, any questions? 
so then you're like, how do you adjust in that moment? And especially you forget that if you're co-facilitating or you're with a group, you forget to rely on those people. So you immediately go into the I mode. What am I going to do? Because we think about ourselves more than anybody. It's a natural human thing. That's why we're in our head is we're thinking about ourselves all the time. And that's not a bad thing. But you go, okay, now what do I do? How do I improvise? How do I work the scene I'm in right now versus the one I want to? Are you just going to shut down? Or are you going to use those skills to be like, how can this work? And how can I look at mistakes as gifts? I might not know it at the time, but it's like this PowerPoint going out, it's, it's happening for a reason and it's a gift instead of like looking at a mistake like failure. It's like, no, 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 no. And I say, you know, my wife still doesn't agree with this. I say, aim to fail. Like give yourself that freedom to be like, okay, I'm not going to try and get this perfect. Because once you do that, you all the, the chains of being perfect are lifted. All the chains of getting it right are lifted. And we, you know, you forget like you're, you're all experts in this thing. Like that's when your brain comes in handy is when it's scrambling to survive. And if you add that element of yes and to it, then you're very powerful as a, as and dynamic as a speaker, as a leader, as a team member, whatever it is. And then you'll see it trickle into your life. I believe as you were talking about failure and stuff, I, I had a, a visual in my head of Annie saying the same thing and, and giving you that's, that was the thing that she got from you more than I think anything she said was accepting failure. And it's hard for people to do. It's hard for people to say it's okay to make a mistake because we don't want to make mistakes. And you're penalized. You're constantly penalized for mistakes. Right. But if you look at companies like Google, where they go, you're going to have a day to work on your project and your failure. You know, you look at in history too. It's like the guy who does Dyson vacuums. It's like he went through how many designs, hundreds and hundreds of failed designs until he got that right. Right. The same with like cars, any of it. It's like, you got to accept failure. And penicillin is a failure that became a gift. So if you start looking at it like that and you go, okay, let's accept these failures. Let's accept it as collateral damage, but also let's accept it like, Peter, your failure is going to help us succeed in the long run. But we are so focused on immediate results that we don't allow ourselves that space. I couldn't have said that any better. Wow, that, that, that actually, I, I love that, the, the, the way you put that. Thank you. None of this is my original thought. None of these, <laughs> these thoughts are like, Jay came up with this. It's like, no, 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 none of it. Not, not a single one. They're just things I've heard that resonate with me. Right. That, you, that you've heard through your, your journey through the improv world. And life, for sure. And like, you know, I've, I stopped drinking in 2008. And there are things that I've heard in recovery rooms or with my friends who don't drink or friends struggling, whatever, that I use as well. Because I'm like, that's really good information. You know, like things will change, except the fact things will change. And I'm like, oh, that's a really good philosophy. So you gather all this information from your life and you look at things like inspiration you then incorporate it into your lifestyle. And there are, it's very scary to make changes in that business world. Like you, we've been doing PowerPoints for how long? Oh yeah. <laughs> and it's, and it's like, 
you know, my wife and I, we originally had a company back in 2005, six, seven, eight, that was called the riot act. And we used improv to drive behavior change. And so we would go into, because she had experience with meetings and there were a lot of just live meetings. And it's like, you go into the meeting and then after the meeting, you have these discussions. So we tried to bring the discussions into the meeting to be like, let's have them out here. Let's make these discussions now. Let's make it a safe place where you can be validated by that. And let's try to bring that conversation in here that we're all going to say, which is like, well, I'm not engaged or I didn't have that was not good. Like, let's take that in here. And that's a way to drive the change is to acknowledge what it is. And so we were really successful at what we did. And then 2008 hit and it was like all of our clients said, no, we're not having any meetings. And it was like, <laughs> like our first client was Indra Nui, who was the president and CEO of PepsiCo. Okay. And then we worked with um, McDonald's and Yahoo. And like, we had really great clients and we worked in the C-suite arena. And then what happened is, okay, that, you know, we had to accept that now we are changing our, com- our businesses. You know, we are, we are not able to sustain it. And that failure led us to realize, oh, I can still do this with the clients. We were thinking about having kids. Now that will help us. My wife got a job at Ernst & Young or EY, which allowed us to have insurance, which allowed us to have kids. And so that failure turned into something magical. Now at the time, it didn't feel good, but it turned into a wonderful gift for us. And I'm still able to work with a lot of those clients now. It's just I had to wait for that bounce back. Right, right, right. Wow, that's a great that's a great story. And, and yeah, two thousand eight set a lot of people back. And uh, oh, <laughs> right, yeah, I, I had to go back teaching uh, hardcore technical accounting because nobody was paying for communication type of courses, especially when they were equating it to improv and being silly and funny. Oh, <laughs> and you know, it's like yeah, it's like well, that's the first thing that's going to be cut. Improv is seen as extra. Exactly. And so when you're crunched, when you, to me, when you need it the most, you cut it out because you, that scene is an extra expense and it's not that. It is such a necessary expense that it will, you're driving behavior change and you're changing cultures and you're keep, you're retaining your employees because they feel validated and they feel like this is a place I'm safe to make mistakes and this is a place I'm going to grow and this is a place that values my time and my opinion. And and now, especially with the younger generations, they don't sit at a company for a career and go, well, I'm going to work 30 years for IBM and that's it. They will hop around because the money is not important. Let me change one word, what you said, that, that that I've used to help frame it in a different way. And this, I learned this from somebody else. I don't use the word cost anymore or expense. I look at look as an investment. You're investing in your people. It's not an expense in your people. You're investing in your people because in an, with an investment, you'll say, where will this take me? When somebody comes to me with an idea, I said, well, well where, where will this investment take us? And I think when we look at it from that perspective, that maybe we'll frame it in a different way that people might not knee-jerk reaction, start cutting these ex, quote-unquote expenses that ultimately are really just investments into the company's future. See, I love that. I love that spin, that positive spin on it. Like it's the same idea, but you're making it that positive spin. And that's, 
that's what to me the improviser is. And so, yeah, I love that change to be like, it's an investment. It is, you are going to get something out of it rather than take something away from it. Bingo. Bingo. And, and I've, I've, I've used that a ton of times. And you know, most of my audience are, are CPAs and accountants, and, and they love the word cost. But when I frame it, <laughs> when I frame it in that way, that 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 Scooby Doo look comes on their face, and the light bulb goes off. They go, "Wow, yeah, I can." That's a better way of framing that comment or that sentence. And it's such a slight change; it's such a huge change. Exactly, Jay. I, I we could talk probably for five hours. Well, then let's say this is the. First part of a five-part series. <laughs> five-part series. Uh, <laughs> I I want to respect your time. Uh, I, I, I you did respect my time by having me on. It's <laughs> very respectful to have me talk about improv. Well, for sure. And the one thing I know about the I've, I've interviewed two other people who uh, about improv. We already talked about uh, Annie and uh, another woman named Allison Eastep. Yes. Do you know Allison? She was a student of mine. Her too? I talked to her about this. Yeah, I talked to her. I, she's living in London now. And I said, Allison, are you the same Allison Estep that was on Peter's uh, podcast? And she goes, yes. You interviewed her a couple years ago. It wasn't that far back. Uh, it, it, was, it was maybe six months ago, actually. Six, okay, a couple months ago. But yeah. yeah, for sure. We talked about it. Yeah, and, and the one thing, I, and Allison used to work for the Indiana Society of CPAs as a marketing person. Yes, she, uh, yes. She found out that I, you know, Improv Second City, and we just merely, honey, I don't literally mean this, but we literally fell in love with each other, just having that conversation, just having that, that energy. And I interviewed her. She'd left the United States, went to Dubai. She was in Dubai for a while. Yeah. And I guess now she's in London or, or whatever. And yeah, yeah, yes, ending her way around the around the world, and so much happier now, and so much happier. But you know, the the, the one thing I, I I love talking about improv, and I love talking to people who understand it because you hear the passion, you hear the energy, you you you, you get you get the knowledge and. Like I said, I could have, with you, with, with Annie, with, with Allison, love the conversations. We will have more. And, and uh, I, I, I appreciate your time. I, I appreciate you sharing this with myself. I'm going to be selfish right now. Thank you for sharing this with me. <laughs> My audience will get, will get it as well. <laughs> but I've, <laughs> I, I've, I've learned a lot. I've learned some new things. I've, I've, I've learned some, some different approaches just within this hour conversation. and. I look forward to having a conversation with you again in the very, very near future. Oh, you're welcome. And I've heard, I've learned a lot as well. And I appreciate you. And yeah, let's talk more. Perfect. Um, and uh, give, give your lovely wife my best. She doesn't know me, but I figure she's going to hear about me. Uh, and, and <laughs> oh, she's going to, I'm going to make her listen to this one. <laughs> For sure. Cool. I do another. I do another podcast, which is called Improv Cast with Jay and Landon, and we just talk about improv and we talk to like students about their experience. She won't listen to that, but she will. This she will find this very enjoyable because it also relates to business. It's just not like breaking down improv. So, yeah, thank you. Okay, so what was the podcast that you do with two other guys? What was the name of it? Uh, it's called Improv Cast with Jay and Landon. 
and it's myself and my buddy Landon Kirksey. And we talk to like students and newer performers and every once in a while we'll have like um, veteran performers on like my buddy Will Hines from uh, UCB in New York and now he's in L.A. But mostly we have students on and we talk to them about like, hey, what's improv like? How are you? Are there any struggles you're going through or like how has it helped you in your life or what do you think about it? How did you come to improv? And a lot of these guests are not improv like they don't want to necessarily perform, but it's like, oh, I, I came and I wanted to get better at this or better at that. And a lot of them, a lot of them say like, well, I saw a Groupon and then uh, <laughs> I bought that. And so it's like, yay, Groupon. Yeah. But we talk about like just as improvisers, it's like, okay, what are your experiences? What are things you're struggling with? What's your passion? How has this helped you? And so that, yeah, that's called Improv Cast with Jay and Landon. Well, I'm going to subscribe uh, today and listen yeah, to that. That would be great. Cool. Well, well, Jay, thank you again. A- enjoy the lovely weather out in Southern California. Oh, it's beautiful today. <laughs> Good. I'm in Columbus, Ohio, and it's it's a whopping. Oh, it's warm today. It's 66 degrees. So uh, oh. there we go. <laughs> I think it's in the 90s today here. So <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm now I'm hanging up on you. <laughs> Thanks again, Jane. I look forward to talking to you soon. Thank you, Peter. It's been a blast. I would like to thank Jay again for taking time to make his case why the world would be a better place if everyone just took one improv class. Also, his insights into the application of improv in today's business world is spot on. One of my favorite quotes was, I can't wait to see where we go and who we're going to meet. I love that type of attitude and improv is the catalyst to that positive energy, that positive attitude. Thanks again, Jay. Before I close, I'd like to talk a moment about the first five episodes of this podcast that are qualified for CPE self-study credit under the NASBA category of personal development. Those interviews are with Clark Price, the retired CEO of the Ohio Society of CPAs, Mike Scortino, the author of Gratitude Marketing. Tom Hood, CEO of the Maryland Association of CPAs. Ed Mendelwitz, who's a partner in the firm of Witham Smith & Brown. And Carl Arix, who's a human resource professional at the insurance firm of Gregory & Appel. These episodes are located on the Business Learning Institute self-study website, and they are mobile friendly. Create an account from your computer and purchase an episode. Now you can listen to that episode on your mobile device at any time, like on your daily commute or while you're working out or even at your desk. When you're finished, take the review and final exam on your mobile device or even on your computer. It's that easy. Now, while all selected Improv is No Joke podcasts are available on my website, only those purchased through the Business Learning Institute self-study website are eligible for CPE self-study credit. You can get detailed instructions by visiting my website at petermargaritas.com and clicking on the graphic, Listen, Learn, and Earn, Improv is No Joke podcast on the homepage. I hope you enjoy this exciting and flexible new way of receiving CPE credit. Please take a moment and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. Also, I'd greatly appreciate if you take a few moments and go to iTunes and write a review on this podcast. It helps with the visibility of this podcast 
to a greater, larger community. November is National Diabetes Month, and I'll be donating 20% of all paperback and audiobook sales from my website to the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation. You can purchase a personalized signed copy of my book, Improv is No Joke, Using Improvisation to Create Positive Results in Leadership and in Life, for $14.99, and the shipping is free. By going to petermargaritas.com and clicking the Available Now icon on the homepage. In addition, you can download Improv is No Joke audiobook for $14.99 so you can listen on the go. I'm in the process of writing my next book with the working title of Financial Storytelling, and I'm previewing content on my social media. So connect with me on Facebook by searching The Accidental Accountant. On Twitter and Instagram, search P. Margaritas. On LinkedIn, just search my name. Now, there's actually two Peter Margaritas's in the greater Columbus area, but there's only one who's a CPA. Remember to use the principles of improvisation to help you better connect and communicate with those in your organization and in your life. And thank you for listening to this episode. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.